You're listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Let's start Monday with a beat. Hit the beat. We're going to need help today because I haven't got a clue what time it is. Is it noon? Is it 11? Who can tell? We're at that stage now where you've changed some of your clocks, maybe 75%. But did you change the car? I don't know. I can't remember. What about the microwave? Is that the real time or is it the stove? Kanye news coming up as we drop a little Kanye beat on you here. Jesus is King is the new record. And that track right there, Follow God, I cannot stop listening to this. Just jack that right back up. And there goes the beat. We're going to start with the big announcement, or was it even an announcement at all, from Doug Ford. Doug Ford talking to the media this morning, a long press conference from the premier where he dropped this beat. We are here today to say yes. It's real. It's happening. My friends, we are building subways. Subways, subways, subways. Hooray. A lot of questions for the uh, premier here. And what was really remarkable about this press conference, because there he is standing there with John Tory, and it's all smiles and you're the best. No, you're the, no, you, you are the best. It's easy to forget that Shortly after winning the election, Doug Ford, with just a couple of weeks to go until the municipal election, just kind of came in and said, no, we're going to cut your council in half. And now it's all happy, 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 because we have this deal on transit. Here's a little bit of boasting from Doug Ford. You saw the prime minister over the last few months. That just rolls off my back. I'm going to work with him because people expect us to work together. They expect us to work together. They expect us to find common ground even though the federal election doug ford's name was dragged through the mud no he has found a higher calling he has found a higher calling (laughs) i gotta get a better dj is there a better dj up in here I want to move on to uh, the deal with CUPE. Did you hear this? 79% of Ontario education workers have voted in favor of that new deal. That is a ratification. CUPE announcing those numbers today. 79%. If I got 79% of my math test, I'd be pretty happy. I think most kids in this province, they get 79%. They think, nailing it. CUPE says, no, no, there's a lot of people who didn't like this deal. I actually had expected it to be lower than 79% um, because it's very clear. You know, there are some good pieces in that, and we pushed back a great deal of concessions and also got the government to make a major investment. But I think we need to also appreciate the fact that we have the lowest paid people in the education system, and their wages are not keeping up with inflation. Okay, yeah, so we signed a deal. We signed a tentative agreement uh, moments before a scheduled walkout and schools were almost closed. We signed that deal. But we, we don't like it. I mean, what is that for sour grapes? 79%. I mean, you try and get 79% of teachers to agree on anything, let alone support workers. Imagine just trying to get all the custodians to agree. 79% said, yeah, it's a good deal. But I want to play this for you, because remember in the wake of the deal, when that tentative, now ratified agreement was first announced? And Miss Walton decided to stick her proverbial fingers into the proverbial eyes of the government. Thanks for opening the piggy bank and allowing us to get the services that we needed for our students. They'll thank you too. That's cold, is what that is. 
that is very, very cold. News from the Ontario leadership, the Liberal leadership, pardon me. The Ontario Liberal leadership is coming up on March 8th. Now you may say to yourself, Alan, I think they were wiped out in the last election. Not a big deal anymore. Well, they're actually down to five now. Five members. They had seven. They're down to five. But before you write off this party, keep in mind that a certain federal liberal party was in third and went back to government. So it has been done. It can be done. A lot, though, rests on who they choose to lead them on March 8th. MPP Michael Cotto today proposing that if he becomes premier... He will lower the voting age in this province to 16, down from its current 18. I wonder how you feel about that. The thing about liberal, uh, or rather leadership campaigns, is they bring out a lot of proposals that then kind of don't go anywhere, sort of trial balloons that, you know, get out there and then you know, sort of gauge the public support. You may remember that Alvin Tejo, who is also running for the liberal leadership in Ontario, has promised to abolish funding for separate schools, which a lot of people are in support of. Is it enough to propel him to the leadership? We have a couple of months to go on that. Let's get back to that uh, press conference with Doug Ford just a little while ago, where he was standing with uh, the the mayor of Toronto and also the Minister of Transportation and the Associate Minister of Transportation talking about this recent deal to build subways. Priya Sam is a global news reporter who is standing by. Hi, Priya. Hi, Alan. Was there anything in this of, of note at all? Anything new? In fact, there was not. So this was a, really a non-announcement. Uh, there were no new funding, uh, no new timelines or anything like that announced. Uh, what it did seem to be really was a show of unity uh, between the province and the city, so, uh, something we you know, haven't seen a lot of in the past. Was there hugging, Priya? Because uh, I think there was, if they're not physical hugging, there was sort of figurative hugging there. Exactly, yes. There was definitely a lot of patting each other on the back, uh, you know, thanking each other for their contribution, for agreeing to work together. Uh, it sort of seems to be part of this ongoing effort to revamp Doug Ford's reputation. Uh, you may recall last week, uh, ahead of this new sitting of the legislature starting again, uh, we heard uh, the Ford government promise uh, less drama in the legislature, fewer standing ovations. Uh, and even he noted today that this he is making an effort to what he called, quote, tone things down. Um, so yeah, I heard that. I heard that answer, Priya. But what I thought was interesting was his, his preamble to that, where he said one of his kids came home and said to him, I keep reading about you changing, Dad. You haven't changed a bit. <laughs> yes, that, that was funny. There were certainly a lot of chuckles from the press gallery over that answer. Uh, and then at one point, something fell down. This is what happens behind the scenes. So we're on a platform, I guess. On a, was it a go train platform? Is that where you are? We were actually um, at the center where they uh, repair and maintain uh, the GO trains in Etobicoke. Uh, and what fell there, what you heard, uh, there was just uh, some barriers set up uh, to keep all of us back. It, it, it was quite congested there with all of the cameras uh, and reporters. And there's just a metal post that was holding up one of the barriers. Did any over. of the journalists escape? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm I'm glad all of you are continued to be contained. The yeah, other thing, the, the other thing that really stuck out for me is that I, I and I, I at one point I didn't get right to the end of the uh, press conference because it went quite long. It was a lot of a lot of questions for the premier, who you know in times past has been very short in the number of questions he took. He seemed like he he was willing to stand in there and take a lot of them, but he was talking about the whole uh, you know the deal with the prime minister and all the back and forth. And he said the premier said that the press makes too much of a deal out of it. What did you make of that? That is true. He did say that. And I think that, again, he's trying to say, oh, no, you know, I'm not this controversial person who, you know, sort of stirs up debate and problems. I'm a diplomat. I'm willing to work with everyone. And, you know, trying to blame the media for sort of exaggerating any of these instances uh, where this has happened. But, in fact, in the past, he has been very forthright in expressing expressing his displeasure with uh, both the federal government and the municipal government as well. But he really does seem to be making an effort to... Uh, to revamp uh, his reputation. Whether he is actually going to make a change in his style uh, sort of remains to be seen at this point. Priya Sam is a global news reporter. Have you managed to get it out of get out of the pen? Are you able to walk freely now? Yes, we had to get out to uh, to do a live hit at noon, and there was no signal in there, so we were uh, we were running. Glad. All right, uh, Priya Sam, free at last. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being on the program. So, Doug Ford. New and improved. Might I suggest he has found God? Or maybe just Kanye. Maybe he just found Kanye. Kanye West, Jesus is King album. You're asking why am I playing this? This is just out now. The new record from Kanye West, number one, and that makes nine, nine consecutive number one albums for Kanye West. That ties him with whom? Who has nine consecutive albums other than Kanye? Welcome back to the program. Are you in a relationship with someone at work? Is it a consensual relationship, but yet that person might be, I don't know, an indirect report? I'm going to ask the question whether or not that should be allowed or you should get some fries with that and be fired like the CEO of McDonald's. That's coming right up. But first, the answer to my question before the break, we're listening to the beat from the new Kanye record. Number one on the Billboard, the new album from Kanye. That makes nine in a row. Who else has nine consecutive number ones on the Billboard charts? It's Eminem. All right, coming up more about that story about the McDonald's CEO. I find that to be fascinating, but I want to begin with something else that's making news today. Hundreds of thousands of Canadians could be consuming tap water laced with high levels of lead leaching from the aging infrastructure and the pipes we have in our cities. That is according to a newly released set of data and documents. It's a key conclusion in a year-long investigation by more than 120 journalists from nine universities and 10 media organizations, including Global News and the Toronto Star, as well as Concordia University's Institute for Investigative Journalism. Toronto Star investigative reporter Rob Cribb joins me on the line. Hi, Rob. Hello, how are you? What have we found in these documents? 
A striking level of lead across the country. We've pulled together data from across the country looking at exceedances of the lead level at the tap. So this, these are tests of water coming out of household taps from coast to coast. And um, yeah, we found about a third of them that we've gathered. So 12,000 tests, about a third of those exceeded uh, the federal level. And then we also simultaneously with that fanned out across the country. Student journalists knocked on doors and 32 towns and cities across the country, asked folks if we could come in and take a sample from their taps to have it tested by accredited labs. Um, and from those tests, uh, we found about a, an exceedance rate of about 39%, so fairly consistent. But a third of the tests uh, that we've gathered from one, from, from one method or another exceeded the, the, the federal standard. Mayor John Tory was asked about this in the press conference that was held just an hour ago. He reiterated that Toronto's drinking water is safe. What does the evidence show about Toronto? Uh, he's right. The, the, the water being um, sent out of dis distribution centers across this city is safe. There's no question about that. It is clean. It's constantly tested. The problem isn't uh, the source water, though. The problem occurs um, in terms of contamination of lead in our houses. So if you live in an older house in the old portion of sort of the old city and you still have lead, and there's about 30,000 homes that still do, um, that water comes in clean off the street, underground, into your home, and it sits in your pipe. So you go to bed, it sits there for eight hours, you get up in the morning, you turn on the tap and you drink it, that water has been sitting in lead with the potential for leaching of that lead into the water. On an, and on first draw, in other words, the moment you turn the tap on, that is going to be a peak level of lead. So if your child gets up in the middle of the night, goes, turns on the tap, uh, and drinks the water and it's soaking in lead, there is potential for elevated lead. So, so whether or not the water coming into your house from the city is clean or not, which it overwhelmingly is, you can still be subject to this. So you really have to be aware whether or not you have lead pipes. You've got to get your water tested, and you have to make sure that you're not um, uh, inadvertently or unwittingly contaminating yourself because the health impacts of this are dramatic and terrifying, frankly. Health Canada and the World Health Organization both agree there is no safe level of lead. And in Canada, it's been banned in paint, gasoline, tin cans, toys, and drinking water and food continues to be the leading source of lead for Canadians. I'm speaking with Toronto Star investigative reporter Rob Cribb. And Rob, the city of Toronto has had programs in the past, and they have changed recently in terms of helping homeowners be able to underwrite the cost of uh, taking lead pipes out of their homes. Yeah, Toronto uh, has had programs, as as many cities across the country have have done. So these are access to filters, um, and, and in some cases there's subsidies for removal. And it's not cheap. If you live in a house with lead pipes, you're looking at, depending on kind of where your house sits relative to the street, et cetera, and where the pipes run, you could be looking at excavation, digging up driveways, et cetera. So it, it can become costly. On average, it's sort of four to 5000 bucks, but we've certainly seen cases where it, it reaches up to $10,000. So this is not necessarily cheap. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that is not on the radar. It's not the kind of thing you necessarily think about as a homeowner. It's not the kind of money that you're going to spend that's going to bring immediate gratification. Um, it's infrastructure, and it's underground, and most people haven't taken advantage, frankly, of these municipal subsidies and, 
and offers, and it's one of the reasons we did this story, because there is shared responsibility here, right? I mean, those pipes are not city responsibility. At, at the property line, they become homeowner's responsibility, and so few people know whether or not they have lead pipes and have thought even less about investing in their removal. Uh, for me, this became an issue a few years ago. I was doing research. I had I had a young daughter. Um, I had my water tested. It was elevated, um, and I spent the money to get to get rid of it because I became aware of it. You know, um, and so the attempt here is to ensure that um, more people are are certainly aware of it, get the test done, and, and figure out whether they need to take further action. Good advice there. That is Rob Cribb, who is a Toronto Star investigative reporter. Thanks for being on the program, Rob. Thanks so much. You can read more about that on globalnews.ca. Is Canada's tap water safe? That investigation is now online, globalnews.ca. McDonald's chief executive officer has been pushed out of the company after violating the company policy by engaging in a consensual relationship. The fast food giant said the former president and CEO, Steve Easterbrook, demonstrated poor judgment. And in an email to employees... Easterbrook acknowledged that he'd had a relationship with an employee, said it was a mistake. Given the values of the company, I agree with the board at this time. It is time for me to move on, said Easterbrook in an email. Chantal Goldsmith is an employment lawyer with Sam Firo Tumarkin and joins me on the line now as we talk about this. Hi, Chantal. Hi, Alan. So in terms of indirect report... I mean, if you're the CEO, everybody's an indirect report. But I, I guess there's a, a question for other employees out there, people who are in positions that have reports or de- direct reports. How do you know if your company has a policy that would forbid this kind of thing? Well, uh, in Ontario, there's a requirement that um, anybody who's in a person that a position of power to confer grants or deny a benefit or advancement to the worker, that could amount to sexual harassment if they're engaging in a relationship with someone who's a subordinate. So obviously someone who's in a CEO position, everybody's going to be a subordinate to them. So that's why uh, it's, it's important to have the policies and procedures in place to make sure that if someone does feel that um, someone's looking for a relationship with them who's in a position to confer or grant um, a benefit, that they actually make sure that they go to the HR department, they have a conversation with HR that says that this is consensual and they agree to that if that's something they want to engage in, or alternatively, they should be um, reporting to somebody else within the company or not engaging in that relationship at all. So how risky is this, you you know, let's say, you know, you you know how relationships sort of develop and then you realize, well, uh uh-oh, now we're here and we've got to disclose this. How dangerous is disclosure then at that point when it's already underway? It could be an issue for someone who, it's the imbalance of power. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to the person who's in that higher position, whether or not they're um, engaging in something that's that's wrong or not. And with McDonald's, I guess they have the overall policy that there's no engagement at all from the CEO. And that's just from the C-suite? And and do you see that? Is it just C-suite or you see all executives across, like, you know, the board of directors? Or how does that usually work in these big companies? It's typically anybody to engage with anybody who's in a a subordinate level position. So it would go across the board for all executives. 
Uh, in Ontario, for example, there, under both the Occupational Health and Safety Act and under the Human Rights Code, there's legislation in place that protects people from sexual harassment in the workplace. In the U.S., it's going to be different, um, but here in Ontario, we have that protection for our employees. Chantel, what do you tell clients who come in and, and say, I, I'm in this relationship, um, it, it's, a, it's against, against policy, what should I do? Should it just be try and keep it quiet? Or like I said before, I was asking before, you know, is it risky to disclose? It's riskier to keep it quiet, in my opinion, because that could lead to termination for cause. If they've disclosed it and if the subordinate has come forward and said that it's consensual in nature, some companies may be agreeable to allowing it to continue as long as there's a different reporting structure put in place. Chantel Goldsmith is the employment lawyer with Samfiro Tumarkin and joined me on the line talking about the McDonald's CEO, Steve Easterbrook. Thank you so much, Chantel. My pleasure, Alan. Have a great day. And later on today, we're expecting, if it hasn't already come out, I haven't seen it, but uh, CEO, or rather that McDonald's actually has to uh, release what the the severance packages, all the benefit packages. So Mr. Easterbrook, by the way, doing a little reading on him, he's going to be just fine. He is just going to, he'll be just fine. Shed no tears for him. It is a weird, wacky Monday, folks. It is strange out there. I'm not sure. Perhaps when the clocks moved on the weekend, we entered some kind of alternate dimension. Perhaps the universe has shifted. I'm not certain what is up. But I don't, I just, I don't know if I can express how odd this is to hear this. This is John Tory, just a little more than an hour ago, extolling the virtues of Doug Ford as being a nation builder? I want to say a word on the national unity. Premier Ford, by taking the initiative he is in the last few days, is playing the role that Ontario premiers must play and have historically played in holding this country together. And when I say holding it together, it's a federation. So I commend the Premier for the fact that he is taking the initiative to get people together because I think it's very important we talk together about how we can make the whole country strong because that contributes to our strength and their strength, which is the whole idea. That is John Tory speaking this morning, standing directly in front of the Premier as he made those remarks. Those came out of a conversation, or rather questions from reporters, about why Doug Ford is trying to fundraise because of potential Western alienation. That is precisely what happened this morning. Doug Ford, I'm just looking forward here. Here is Doug Ford. We've got work to do. This is the email this morning. Alan, I've never seen the country so divided. I love it when he personalizes his emails to me. And I can see why. You've got Alberta putting $20 billion more into the federal government than they get back in services. They're paying into a government that takes more than it gives back. Suddenly we're concerned about what Alberta is paying. Uh, as same goes for Saskatchewan. How are they supposed to feel like they're getting a fair deal? Alan, we should be forced, focused on competing against the world, not on each other. It's time for Ontario to step up. So this is when the premier sending out a fundraiser ends off with, if you're with me on this, Alan, and I hope you are, help out right now. Click here to donate two bucks. Two bucks. Have you seen this video yet? It is just remarkable, and I want to play it for you so you can hear it. In the video, a group of motorists block the lanes of a highway as a driver spins in circles 
doing donuts in front of several onlookers who are filming the stunt. This is how it sounded like. And here is what Carrie Schmidt tweeted as he tweeted out the video. This is OPP Sergeant Gary Schmidt, who you hear a lot on this radio station. He is uh, sort of communications, does a lot of outreach, a lot of social media. This is not only dangerous and illegal, it is disappointing when a mob mentality of hijacking a highway to make a scene like this is conducted. We are better than this, aren't we? I would argue we are not. I would argue that a cool video is more important than personal and public safety, and I think we see that time and time again People making that decision, whether it is filming an altercation rather than intervening, whether it is chucking a chair off a balcony. We see it time and time again. And I'm unfortunately, it's unfortunate to say that I think Mr. Mr. Schmidt uh, is wrong in terms of whether or not we're better than this, because it appears we are not. Park officials are monitoring a century-old grounded barge that briefly broke loose during a storm last week in a river just above Niagara Falls. A rusty iron scow, which is a great insult. You rusty iron scow. Had been stuck since 1918 on rocks on the upper rapids above the Horseshoe Falls on the Canadian side. But now, it's on the move. Reporter Will Reeve has more. Authorities are closely monitoring the scow's movement. If it does end up going over the falls, there are two scenarios. It would either get impaled on the rocks below, or it would break up and carry on down the river, whereupon it would be removed over 100 years after it got stuck in the first place. You are nothing but an iron scow. You're just a scow impaled on some rocks. That's. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the iron scow. Krispy Kreme Donuts is asking this very enterprising Minneapolis college student to end his side hustle. Turns out that this guy was constantly driving to a faraway Krispy Kreme location to re-up the donut. 21-year-old Jason Gonzalez from Champlain, Minnesota, is a fan of Krispy Kreme donuts, but there are no Krispy Kreme donut stores in the entire state of Minnesota. So every weekend, Gonzalez has been driving 270 miles down to Iowa and buying boxes and boxes of donuts that he then sells for between $17 and $20 a box back home in Minnesota. Krispy Kreme Corporate has sent a letter to Gonzalez telling him that while they appreciate his passion for Krispy Kreme and his entrepreneurial spirit... He's creating a liability for the company and that he should please stop. Sherry Preston, ABC News. Put down the donut. That's not a way to get rich. Reselling donuts, reselling fried bread. That's not how you get rich. You know how you get rich? You die. Because here now, the top dead celebrity earners. Michael Jackson. Forget leaving Neverland. It has not done anything to his posthumous earnings. He is the top-earning dead celebrity in the past year with $60 million. Elvis, $39 million in second. Peanuts cartoonist Charles Schultz, $38 million. Arnold Palmer, fourth. Bob Marley is in there. Rounding out the top ten, Dr. Zeus, John Lennon, Marilyn Monroe, Prince, and Nipsey Hussle. Top dead celebrities. 
in terms of earnings right there. Michael Jackson, still number one. Do you like the music biopics after Bohemian Rhapsody? And what's the Elton John one? Rocket Man. That's it. Well, the producer behind the Queen film is now hoping to bring another musical story to the screens. Deadline.com is reporting that the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody has teamed up with Paramount Pictures for a movie about... Oh. Barry, Robin, Maurice, and Tight Pants. They first began performing together in the 1950s and gained popularity as one of the most iconic disco acts of the 70s. Would you pay money to see a Bee Gees movie? See, I think like, I mean, I think we're now into that category where it's like, okay, we, Bohemian Rhapsody was a hit that did well. Then we got a couple other thing hits, and now we're just we're gonna just kind of keep moving and moving and moving until you know, the Carpenters. It's a story you need to see, Captain and Tennille, the untold story of muskrat love. All of that coming soon to a theater near you. One more quick story as we hit a funky beat to take me out. Authorities in western Germany had to evacuate a party after a carbon monoxide alarm went off and guests reported feeling unwell. Firefighters telling a news agency that 300 people had to be brought to safety after the alarm went off late Saturday night. What's unusual about this is what kind of club. It was a swingers club, folks. And after the alarm went off, the swingers, clad in bathrobes, bring that beat back, the swingers, clad in bathrobes, had to be taken away on buses to be examined. Gassy German swingers. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. We have breaking political news just coming out of Ottawa. As of today, I am no longer leader of the Green Party of Canada. That is what Elizabeth May said just moments ago. She will stay on as parliamentary leader of the Greens. She won't run for speaker because her two fellow Green MPs don't want her to go. She's like to run for speaker, she says, after the next election. Again, she will step down, has already stepped down, as the leader of the Canadian Green Party, Elizabeth May, stepping down, saying it is time for new leadership at the head of the Green Party, who had a rather disappointing finish in the federal election, winning three seats. There were hopes of a major breakthrough in places like in the Maritimes, of course, they continue to have their solid power base on Vancouver Island, but have not been able to really expand beyond that. There was some thought that maybe in Guelph, where the Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner has a seat provincially, that the feds might be able to follow suit and break through there, but that did not happen. Again, Elizabeth May out as leader of the federal Green Party. I want to bring in my producer now as we talk about our next 
uh, subject, and that is diabetes. Worldwide, the number of people with diabetes, the condition that results when the pancreas doesn't produce enough insulin to regulate blood sugar, has climbed from 108 million in 1980 to more than 422 million today, that according to the World Health Organization. And the number is expected to rise to 642 million throughout the next decade. Shiba Siddiqui is my producer here on the program and put this story in my lineup today because it has a personal impact on her. Hi, Shiba. Hi. So I've given birth to four kids, all naturally, no epidural, had gestational diabetes with all of them. Now, with my first child, I was able to maintain my GD with diet and exercise. By my fourth child, I was shooting myself up with insulin four to five times a day. Now, I was always, th- I was always thinking about, you know, how is this... My sugar cravings were out of control. When you were pregnant, you, but we joke about that, no, you know, pregnancy cravings, but morning, this was something more noon, than that. noon, and night. I polished off a dozen cupcakes in one zest. My husband was horrified watching me, but it's an addiction. All I thought about was sugar morning, noon, and night, and I gained over 100 pounds by my fourth pregnancy. I birthed a 10-pounder naturally with no epidural. I'm telling you, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Holy, and that kid's not going to forget it. You're going to remind him for <laughs> oh, the rest of his life. Day, yeah. every day, every day. Ten pounder, you. In his teenage years. Yeah, but my you and thought your giant was, head. How is this going to affect my children in the future? I mean... Uh, Having the fact that you had gestational diabetes. Well, let's bring in Seema Nakbal, who is the Vice President of Science and Policy at Diabetes Canada, and talk about this new research that seems to indicate that there might be more of a correlation between gestational diabetes and uh, the baby having diabetes later in life. Hi, Seema. Hi there. Thanks for asking me to come on. Appreciate that. Uh, You heard the sort of the preamble here. You heard uh, what Shiva had to say. What does the research tell us about gestational diabetes and the likelihood of the child going on to have diabetes in life? Yeah, I guess first I just want to say that I'm really pleased that uh, this news uh, shines a light on the rising prevalence of diabetes, and specifically because it's Diabetes Awareness Month in November. So diabetes is an epidemic in our country with 11 million Canadians living with diabetes or pre-diabetes. So talking about this study and its implications today is is really important. So um, I I thought maybe we could just take a moment to to talk about uh, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and gestational diabetes, if that's if that's okay with you. Yeah, I think I think that I mean I remember when when the mother of my children was talking about having gestational diabetes I was I I didn't really understand the difference between that and type 1 and type 2. Great. So so type 1 diabetes is a condition that happens most frequently early on in a person's life. It's an autoimmune disorder that means that the uh, that results in a person not being able to produce enough insulin um, and as a result uh, the blood glucose levels uh, go up and down and, and are well con- not well controlled. Um, and that's a little bit different than, than the mechanism of type 2 diabetes where the body may produce insulin. It, it might not produce enough, but it's really the body's ability to use that insulin that's compromised. And that, that condition usually happens later in life. Um, it it's, uh, usually occurs in, in adults. But very concerning is that we're seeing the um, diagnosis of type 2 diabetes occur now, uh, sometimes in children. 
Um, gestational diabetes is a condition that is temporary and affects uh, women who are pregnant and uh, subsides after the child has been delivered. So it's a temporary condition, but as, as you noted, it puts uh, the child at risk for developing diabetes um, later in life, and as well, it, it um, puts the, the woman, the mom, at risk for developing type 2 diabetes later in life as well. So something that we would um, prevent if we at all could, and in many cases we can um, prevent gestational diabetes, but there are risks um, associated with uh, developing gestational diabetes that are um, that we can't change. So I uh, just want to make sure that everybody understands that, that there's a real stigma associated with diabetes that um, really shames and blames women and people developing type 2, but I, I'd like to get past that and really talk about um, the risks and, and the, the things that contribute to that risk. Interesting new research and obviously something to be aware of. And when we talk about the epidemic numbers in Canada and in Ontario and around the world, it is something to be concerned about. Seema Nabkwal is VP of Science and Policy at Diabetes Canada. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. I want to quickly move to cell phones in the classroom because we're running out of time here. And Raunek Chowdhury is an Ontario public high school teacher who thinks that the new ban that has just come in is not going to do much. Raunek joins me on the line. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being on the program. Why don't you think that this is a good idea? Um, so I've been teaching for 17 years, uh, 15 of which have been in special education and student success. I've given lots of supports to lots of teachers, and the reality is teachers, when we teach and we're doing a lesson and we're, doing, we're wanting to do it properly, we are expecting students to put their cell phones away anyways. So to have legislation come in to kind of enforce something that teachers are doing across the province already is, to me, a bit of a moot point. Um, another piece is, as teachers, especially those of us who are um, registered through the Ontario College of Teachers, we have standards of practice, and two of them, there's five of them, but one of them is commitment to student and student learning, and the other one is professional practice. So for the government to come in and say, hey, you know what, um, teachers need, students need to put their cell phones away, yet we leave it at the discretion of teachers to determine when. Children with special needs, you know, have um, a different set of rules, and that, you know, students are expected to put their phones away. Well, they were expected to put their phones away anyways. So, I mean, people have made this point that it, it, it is kind of just all smoke and mirrors. It doesn't really change anything on the ground. And I talked to my daughter, who is in grade 9, and she talks about, well, you know, at the end of class, you know, there, the teacher just says, okay, you, you got a couple of minutes to be on your phone. That's just allowed. I think it, it just sort of, you know, they realize that kids are going to get a little fidgety and uppity if they don't get that time on their phone. Is that something that you see? Absolutely. And the thing is, is that if you look around us, everyone has their phones. If you're sitting in a meeting, if you're going out for lunch, your friends have your phones out, teachers have their phones in their pockets. So why do we have a different set of expectations for our students? The reality is we need to teach when is it appropriate to use it. You know, when can, what, what are you using it for? And the reality is if it becomes a problem, then, our, then teachers are having a conversation with parents. So my daughter was in high school. And, you know, in grade 10, the teacher called me and said, listen, her cell phone's a problem. She keeps taking it out. I keep telling her to put it away. So then I had a conversation with my daughter, and I said, what's going on? And she said to me, um, okay, Mom, yeah, I'll do better. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you a week, and then I'm going to have a chat with your teacher. And I had a chat with the teacher, and the teacher said, yeah, it's better, but there's still some problems. So me as a parent, then I stepped in, and I took her phone away. You know, and that's where 
I took it away. I said, you're going to lose it for a week until I hear you're not using it at all. Ronick, we're almost out of time, but you would suggest then the onus should be on the parents in these cases and not on the teacher and not on the school system. Well, I think that it's it's, it's a conversation and it's a continuation, but teachers are doing it anyways, right? We're not, you can't teach a lesson if students have their phones out, so we're doing it anyways. (laughs) I, I can't get my daughter to pay attention to me at any time of the day, phone or not, but with the phone, it's absolutely impossible. Ronick Chowdhury is an Ontario public high school teacher and join me on the line. Thank you so much for being on the program. No problem. And isn't that interesting what she said? And I take this to mind. I'm, I'm always on, you know, saying to my kids, put your phones down. Put your phones down. And what's in my hand the whole time? Every single time. I model the worst behavior. And I'm so guilty of it. Put your phone down. Put your phone. And then I think, well, I'm working. Well, I, you know, I'm checking Instagram. I'm not working. I hope you're working. Hope you're working hard. Hardly working. Give me a funky beat. Kanye, proving. You can still be unhinged and funky all at the same time.